Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and while so many people are focused on energy costs and rising electricity bills and rising gas bills, we of course are all waiting on the government to give us a little bit of a helping hand and uh, all of the papers today very much once again talking about the government. It's Today is the day that they're expected to announce the plans to cut the VAT on electricity and uh, gas and they're hoping by doing that that it is in some way going to help when the carbon tax increase goes up on the 1st of May. But a little bit of bad news in that the government were trying to secure a deal with the EU to allow the Irish government to reduce fat on home heating oil and to get that in place before the increase in carbon tax. But that's not looking likely. So that means that the carbon tax increase on the 1st of May, if you get a 900 litre tank of kerosene, which is normally a full fill of kerosene from the 1st of May that will go up by an extra 20 uh, euro but the government have agreed that the VAT on electricity and gas they are going to reduce that it's currently at 13.5% we pay lower than a lot of the other European states we have a derogation which allows us uh, to pay pay less on electricity and gas so they're going to reduce that from 13.5% that's going to come down from 9% not a huge saving but listen every little bit uh, helps the According to the papers today, €49 a year will be saved on electricity. €61 will be saved on gas, even though yesterday they were reporting it the other way around. So the devil will be in the detail when the government make the announcement uh, today. Uh, Legislation will have to be passed by the Dáil in order to allow for that VAT cut to be put in place but it is hoped because when they want to get things through quickly they can do it I mean they certainly proved that during Covid uh, times so it is hoping that the legislation will go quickly through the door and it'll be signed off by May because they're trying to make sure that that extra cut on the VAT will come in so that it'll offset the carbon increase which goes ahead on the 1st of May and then of course as has been mentioned all week the fuel allowance people who were on fuel allowance they got their last weekly payment of fuel allowance last week a hundred euro is the figure of a one-off payment it equates to three weeks three full weeks of the fuel allowance benefit and it'll be paid in a lump sum um, that, that's how it'll be done that's obviously to help people on low incomes and you must be on a low income in order to because the fuel allowance is means tested so it's to help with the energy costs there 
on low income families. Now, again, that will be signed off today. And after it's signed off today, we hopefully then will start to get some information on when it's going to be paid. Because when I started talking about this on the programme on Monday, we were getting calls and texts in from people saying, when will that additional fuel allowance come in? Which to me is saying there were people literally waiting for that money to come because they wanted to buy additional fuel. So hopefully after today, we might have a little bit more uh, detail. But the long promised and the long promised reduction in the public service obligation, the PSO levy on electricity bills that everybody hates paying because before you hit a switch to get any kind of electricity into your house, you're going to have to pay this PSO uh, levy. Uh, That's there's going to be a reduction on that. Again, the saving there, it'll work out at about 60 euro a year. So about 10 euro will come off each of your electricity bills. But that's not going to come in. They're reckoning it won't come in until October. But the and the European Commission, it seems this week, allowed members to reduce VAT on electricity and gas, even though we were told that the reduction from 13.5% to 9% didn't need EU approval. But the European Commission has come out because, again, this problem with rising costs of electricity and gas and home heating oil, not just affecting us here in Ireland, it's right across the European Union. Indeed, it's right across uh, the world. But there is a bit of disappointing news because both Micheál Martin, the Taoiseach, and the Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue, both wrote to the European uh, Commission and they were asking for approval from the European Commission for the Irish government to be able to reduce VAT on home heating oil. But it seems they haven't received a formal response and that's leading the government to believe that the proposal will be rejected and of course it's going to be rejected on the grounds of the Climate Action Commission commitments that have been undertaken by the EU and I suppose the fact that they haven't had a formal response if they knew that they was going to be sanctioned they reckon they would have had a response by now but bonkers.ie and you know Dara Cassidy we've spoken with Dara many many times on the programme particularly about this whole issue of rising electricity and gas prices and Dara is always advocating for people to make sure you switch providers you sign into a one year contract at the end of that one year take a look at it sign up to a different supplier and switching electricity and gas providers is really really a simple procedure uh, to do so we've spoken with Dara many many times so bonkers.ie they've decided to crunch the numbers and take a look at this move by the government to reduce the not, to reduce the cost of the VAT on electri- on the, our electricity bills and it seems it's not going to make that much of a, di- a difference to the exchequer the exchequer will still make more money on VAT on electricity bills this year. They'll still make more than they made last year, even with the VAT reduction. And what Bonkers.ie did was they looked at an average household and an average household that has gas and electricity. They paid €238 in VAT last year. Now, if the VAT stayed at 13.5%, the VAT bill then would have surged to €400. So families would be paying a lot more. So if, as we know, they're going to do today, they'll sign off on reducing it to 9%. It means the average household with gas and electricity will pay €272 on VAT this year, according to the calculations from Bankers.ie. And that's €34 more than what you would have paid last year. And of course, that's based on the price of gas and electricity. And we know the main energy uh, suppliers have uh, all doubled their prices 
Uh, many of them doubled them, their prices by the end of last year. Others uh, went up by as much as uh, 40%. And of course, with all consumer goods and services, VAT is levied on the net price. So because the unit price of gas and electricity has gone up, it means the government's take on VAT has also in, increased. And of course, everyone, every single household and business across the country, we've everyone's been reading. We've had eight energy providers announce price hikes already this year. They reckon that the average household's electricity bill is due to go from €1,100 last year to €1,900 this year. So almost doubling. For people who have residential gas, their bill will more than double. Last year the gas bill would have come in at €800. This year it's expected to be €1,900. So even though the government are doing their their, a little bit, it really is not not enough. And then we've heard from a listener whose email just doesn't want me to call out her name, which is fine. And we've had a couple of calls in about this and this is to do with the €200 electricity credit that has been introduced and of course we were all expecting it to be paid out in March and people were waiting and large electricity bills arrived in and some people were very disappointed because the credit hadn't been signed off in time and they had this whopper of electricity uh, bill. So this listener sums it up saying, Hi Patricia, I want to write to you on this as I'm so upset and I'm so angry. My electricity bill was issued on the 29th of March and the government's €200 credit was applied on the 2nd of April. The amount of my bill, dated the 29th of March, is €150. So happy days, well covered by the government's credit and actually €50 then will go forward to the next bill. I pay by direct debit and the electricity company still went to the bank for the full payment on the 12th of April. Now I used to work for the same company so I know that the request for payment goes to the bank about five days before the payment is due. I don't understand why the amount of the bill wasn't taken from the credit. I live on a fixed income of €213 a week. I am really, really struggling. And I didn't have the money in the bank for the direct debit as I thought the €200 credit would be added in. As a result... I'll now have to pay an additional fee to the bank for the returned direct debit. It may seem not seem like much, but it's my bread and milk for the week. Is there any logical reason for this? Ah, and listen, the only thing I can tell you, and it's, it's, it's not much comfort to you, but you're not the only one to find yourself in that position because we had a number of calls yesterday in outlining the very same issue from some of our listeners. And the problem with it is that the direct debit is set on the date that your bill is issued. So this listener's bill was, electricity bill was issued on the 29th of March for €150. So the direct debit is based on that bill on that date, even though the credit then is applied couple of days later, the 2nd of April, that credit now will be held on account and it'll be next month, your bill next month, your two or in two months' time is when the €200 Euro will come off it. But that's a bit of cold comfort for this listener who thought that the €200 Euro was going to come off and if anything, there was going to be an extra, she wasn't going to have to pay any electricity bill so didn't have any money away in the direct debit. And now, of course, the sting in the tail is the bank charged the fee for the returned uh, direct debit. But as I say, cold comfort... Uh, 
uh, to hear that you're, you're not on your own but it's the way the banks operate it's the way they operate on the direct debit and it's a cautionary tale for others because it's going to affect more people as well my heart really does uh, go out to you particularly if you're on such a fixed income and you're watching every single euro where it's going when you're putting money away uh, for what it really does it it does feel quite cruel does it not Joe says I change electricity provider all the advice is is to change every year a change from electricity to Electric Ireland I changed on the 15th of February Electric Ireland then put up their prices by 20% too late to change back so much for uh, shopping around uh, yeah and I, I don't think it matters uh, Joe who you are with at the moment because all of the uh, electricity providers did I see eight electricity providers have already put up their prices and that's just this year alone on top of all of the prices that went up all of the electricity hikes that we saw last year, year on year for most people electricity bills are going to double. Jim in Grenna while welcoming the government announcement on the cutting of VAT on gas and electricity very disappointed that there is going to be no cut in the home heating oil. Jim makes the point that many people living in rural areas only have access to heat to oil heating. They don't have access to gas for example and as we mentioned the EU they tried to get a derogation from the EU but there was no derogation on diesel and home heating oil unfortunately. Morris says why do we need to be so negative about the cut in VAT from 13.5% to 9% Patricia mentioned the 40 euro we would still be paying a lot more if they left it at the 13.5% so at least we will be paying slightly less even though it's not 40 euro we'll still pay 34 euro more. Morris says we shouldn't be negative about it even though it's a small difference but it's a little bit of saving. John in Mallow says what they are doing is little or nothing. The Green Party John feels is our biggest problem for this country as they do not want fossil fuels and oil products. What the Greens are implementing will not work for people living in rural areas. Too many decisions are being made in cities for about people who do not understand what it is like to live in rural Ireland. Okay, there's some of your calls into 0818 103 103. And can we help out one of our listeners, Trish in Bantry, who says, Hi, would anybody have any tips to keep mice away from my bird feeder? Trish says, it's hanging on a tree. They crawl up the branches to get into the bird feeder. God, aren't they little buggers? I didn't think mice would actually do that. Has anybody else come across that? Now, I have a bird feeder in the garden. I don't know if I've ever noticed mice running up the tree, climbing along the branches to get to the bird feeder. Anybody got a solution on that one, please? If so, 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Over 3,600 hectares of land were damaged by large wildfires last year alone. And sadly, the country saw a record number of uncontrolled fires in 2021. So, what needs to be done to try to break the annual cycle of fires that can cause so much damage. Joining me is spokesperson for the Irish Wildlife Trust. That's Podrick Fogarty. Good morning to you, Podrick. Good morning. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Are the majority of these fires linked to illegal agricultural burning? 
Uh, yes, we believe so. Um, now, many of them uh, are also done by what you might just call non-agricultural vandalism, but uh, there's no doubt about it that uh, what you might call traditional land use practices uh, in particularly in upland and hill areas are a major contributor to uh, what is an annual fire season now uh, that's been going on for, for some time. Well, it's the burning of gorse and, and scrub. There, but there is a period of time that farmers are legally allowed to burn. Yes, it's true. Um, outside of the bird nesting season, so that is outside the period from March to August, it is permitted to burn. But uh, actually, it, it, even if you wanted to burn legally, uh, it's very complicated. There's about over 10 different agencies you're supposed to inform. Uh, it's not entirely clear how uh, to go about doing it during the legal season. And even if you're doing it by, by all the rules, we have to recognize that burning land is enormously damaging practice. It leads to air pollution and water pollution, and it destroys the natural habitats in these areas. Yeah, and everyone, I think, will remember the large fire in Killarney National Park uh, last April. I'm I'm sure that fire went on for about uh, three days. Was there a huge amount of damage caused by that fire? Uh, Yes, there was. uh, But we also have to remember that this has been going on so long that a lot of the damage now has already been done. And uh, the hills that maybe we would have associated as being kind of wild and uh, and, and full of nature are just not in, in, in a good condition anymore. And, and so uh, really, <clears throat> we're not even talking about damage limitation anymore. If we're to get around this problem, we're going to have to look at large scale restoration of these areas. And what I mean by that is bringing back healthy bogs, healthy forests, native forests which are naturally fire resistant and of course also wonderful for other things like wildlife and water. But we would also need a total prohibition on burning all year round then. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is something we've been calling for for a number of years uh, because there is an impression and we hear it all the time that somehow burning land is good practice, that it's something that should be done. And and that's just plain wrong. We have to get away from this idea that burning land is a good idea. Uh, but obviously we have to go much further than just banning uh, burning. We have to encourage farmers in these areas to restore uh, habitats. At the moment, farmers are penalised for having uh, scrub on their land. And so that's one of the main drivers. Uh, of this burning in the first place. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, like, have you any understanding why farmers do it? I mean, is that one of the main reasons? Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, they know that if an inspector goes out and finds vegetation over the height of their knee, uh, the farmer will be docked money. And, uh, I mean, this is insane. Uh, Yet it's been going on for for years now. And, uh, I mean, we're hoping that there's a new common agricultural policy coming into force next year. We're hoping it'll change. But, I mean, surely the first thing we need to do is stop incentivizing the destruction of, of natural habitats in these areas. Yeah, and are many people prosecuted for starting these fires? Oh, hardly any. Uh, Now, I don't want to say there's been none. There have been occasional prosecutions, but, I mean, given the scale of the problem, uh, you know, we're not seeing uh, people being prosecuted for it. And, I mean, we saw a fire there last month in County Sligo that came very close to uh, destroying somebody's home. I mean, this is a, it's incredibly stressful for people living in these areas during dry periods. Uh, they're afraid to open their windows if there is a fire. You know, I mean, we're really, uh, you know, is it going to take somebody to, to be seriously injured or to lose their life before we take this seriously? 
I like it, it's frustrating because there's so much talk about climate change and what we're doing to the environment. It's completely nuts uh, what we're doing, and partly the reason why we've got to this position is that you know we've we've seen these kind of hill areas as being useless. They they they're not good for you know high production of beef or dairy products. Uh, there's very little money involved in farming in these areas. In fact, the sheep farming is is cost negative. In other words, that it only survives because it's, we're given subsidies to it. Um, so it's basically been ignored. We haven't funded the nature conservation agencies to go out and, and do what needs to be done to protect these areas. And so it's been a kind of combination of neglect and, uh, and, and, and underinvestment that has allowed us to see these spaces as useless. When we know from an environmental point of view, whether it's you know carbon or water or nature, that these are hugely valuable places. Do farming organisations, Podrick, have a role to play here, do you believe? I think they have an enormous role to play. And unfortunately, what we've seen uh, year after year is they're not even condemnations, kind of mealy-mouthed. Uh, you know, people saying, oh, well, we don't condone it. But then at the same time saying that fires have, have, have a place in, in upland management and saying it's best practice. So, like, farmers are not being getting a clear message from their leaders that this is completely unacceptable. And, I mean, the irony is, I mean, it's farmers who are suffering most from it. Uh, many of, of the farmers in these areas are not responsible uh, for setting these fires, yet they are being penalised by it. Yeah, and I saw the Green Party calling for increased patrols and, and, and aerial surveillance, I think, was another su- suggestion. Would that help? Yes, it would help. I mean, we have to get serious about uh, bringing perpetrators to uh, to justice uh, for this illegal activity. Um, but, I mean, really what we have seen is that, you know, every time we're in the middle of these fires, you know, a minister comes out and says it's terrible and we're going to do more. But then once the fires stop and we have a wet period like we have at the moment, they're basically forgotten and nothing happens. If you go to places like Australia or Spain, where fire is a big problem, you know, everybody knows that it's completely unacceptable to be setting fires uh, outdoors, you know, because they have very sustained information campaigns throughout the year and very stiff penalties for anybody who's caught doing it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're so right. Okay, just, I've just spotted a text in from uh, one of our listeners, uh, Caroline in Church Cross, to say she's just seen swallows. Is that a bit early? Oh, fantastic. No, the first swallow was noted about two weeks ago. Oh, was it okay? Sorry? I didn't realise that two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's always some early early uh, arrivals. Uh, the bulk of them won't be coming until, possibly until May. And, you know, the pearl swallows arriving now. It's quite cold, so there, there mightn't be much to feed on. Not, not particularly unusual. Yeah, but the temperatures, I think, are picking up a bit this week. So Hopefully, so, yes. So they're, they're very welcomed back. Listen, Padraig, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks And so thanks much. for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is Padraig Fogarty, who is spokesperson with the Irish Wildlife uh, Trust on the Dan caused by those large wildfires that unfortunately happen every year and there does I mean it just as, as I mentioned at the outset it just seems to be an annual cycle of these fires and April for whatever month uh, always seems to be one of the worst because the, as I say the worst one last year in was in the month of April was that huge one in Killarney National Park 0818 103 103 
You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork County Council is set to write to the Taoiseach. This is amid warnings that problems are mounting across emergency services in Cork City and County. And both local councils, the County Council and the City Council, discussed issues with frontline staff members at their respective meetings this week. And also this week it was announced that members of the Cork City Fire Service are going to mount a picket outside City Hall this Friday. And to share the concerns of firefighters, I'm joined by Billy Crowley, who is a firefighter and also a shop steward. Good morning to you, Billy. Good morning, Patricia, and, and thanks thanks well, for this opportunity. Well, listen, you, you're welcome to the programme, and I suppose we need to try to get the background here for listeners. This goes back to the closure of Ballincollig Fire Station. Can you just outline the impact that the closure of that fire station has had? Absolutely, yeah. So, um, basically, we had four pumps, fire trucks, people will, will recognise them as. We had two based in Anglesey Street, one in Ballyvalan and one in Ballincollig. And when Ballancolic closed, we went from four to three. And it's just impossible to cover the, the new city with the with three fire pumps. It's just dangerous. And the reasoning behind it was what? What happened was we we ran a recruitment competition for full time firefighters and the crew who had been based out in Ballancolic, they were a retained crew similar to county towns all around Cork and all around the country. Um, and they applied for full-time jobs with, with Cork City Fire Brigade and were successful. So they are now full-time firefighters. They're right. no longer retained firefighters. Because so re- reta- no... retained means they have other jobs outside of the work that they do with the fire service. They do, yeah, generally, and they would carry a pager, yeah. and when their pager goes off, they make their way to the station and respond to the call, whereas we work a shift, and while we're on shift, we're in the station and respond to calls from the station. Okay, so the retained firefighters became full-time firefighters. They did indeed. And obviously then there was no retained firefighters in Ballincollig. So we covered it ourselves as a a full-time station for a couple of months. And then a city council withdrew that. And are you saying that you're struggling to respond to emergencies? Absolutely. Like our response time from Anglesey Street out to Ballincollig is 14, 15 minutes, that kind of way, which is unacceptable in the, the, the second city of the country. And you've obviously gone to Cork City Council and put forward your fears. What, what, what are they saying to you? Um, they're saying that as far as they're concerned, it's, it's perfectly adequate. It's absolutely not. So we went to the WRC with it and uh, we put a proposal in place that Cork City Council, while they're recruiting, attempting to recruit a retained crew for Ballincollig, that we would we would cover it, we would man that pump and keep it at four pumps. And once they had a, a, a new retained crew, they'd, they'd slip in and we'd slip out and we'd, we'd maintain four pumps to cover Cork City. They rejected that proposal. So we said, right, look, we need to go to the Labour Court with this. And no, they won't go to the Labour Court. And, and what happens when one side won't go to the Labour Court? Generally, uh, you'd see it. We'll say you'd see it in in private sector employments a lot yeah. of the time, where an employer refuses to go to the labour court, and the labour court will issue a judgment in their absence. The same way as if you or I committed a crime and refused to go into court, the judge will just 
issue a issue a, a, a sentence in our absence, you yeah. know. And uh, generally, that happens with private sector employers. There is no provision for if we can find for public sector employers because public sector employers do not refuse to go to the labour court because we're all part of this public sector agreement and Lansdowne Road and we sign up to codes of practice to avoid this carry on. It's why in the 80s there was constant public sector strikes that bin men would be off, the nurses would be off, teachers would be striking. That doesn't happen anymore because we all sign up to these codes of practice. So we, us as as would say union members and firefighters and the city council as a public sector employer have signed up to codes of practice where it is they are bound and they must attend the Labour Court. Okay, and I, I can sense the frustration in your voice and, and, and I imagine therefore you're speaking on behalf of all of the rest of the firefighters. It takes a lot for firefighters to vote in favour of industrial action, doesn't it? It does, to be honest. Like, if you, if you if you look at what we do, we put up with a lot. We're kind of we're resilient people. We don't want to be coming into to work to to we'll say industrial hassle and and coming in to be we'll say coming into a fight. We want to come into work, do our job, and go home safely at the end of it. You know. So tell me what you are, what's what's the plan for? It's a picket. What what do you plan to do on Friday? So what we're going to do on Friday and and carrying on there is that shift changeover. So at nine o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the evening, the people coming on and the people going off are going to pick it outside the the station for a period of time, um, in the hope that we can we can generate enough enough public support and enough uh, get the message out there. Basically, in the hope that people at a higher level, uh, at ministerial level and senior civil servants in the various departments that are responsible for, uh, would say, the public sector and, and industry, trade and employment, will we'll take a view on this and, and force Cork City Council to attend the Labour Court. Do you have support from the actual elected councillors themselves? Yeah, we're getting support. I know that the, the Sinn Féin councillors raised a motion in the hall and that was supported by other other councillors in both independent and, and with parties and stuff like that. I think what's what's kind of disappointing for our members is that we'll say we're in a situation where we're in Cork at the moment. We have a, a Taoiseach, we have um, a, we'll say Michal Martin, we have Simon Coveney, we have Michael McGrath, we have various ministers, Cork ministers, and, and the Taoiseach at very high levels in government. And this is this is a Cork issue for both city and county and and we're kind of we're disappointed that there isn't more noise at that level you know yeah and and you know at the end of the day you're doing this because you want to be able to respond to emergencies in the correct time period you don't want any delays exactly like this isn't about money it isn't about conditions or pay or holidays or we want extra this or we're trying to feather our own nest or look after ourselves. This is about providing a, a service to the people of Cork City and for the, the the area surrounding Cork City because we cover out, we'll say, out north but out to Watergrass Hill, out towards Mallow, out towards Middleton, you know. And a huge area. It's just a, a huge, massive, huge... massive area. Yeah. Okay, so you've got this picket which obviously will put focus on what you're fighting for, for Billy. Will you take further industrial action if you feel the city council are not listening to you? I would hope not to have to, 
I think we we all hope that. We hope that there'll be an intervention between now and Friday, but we've been hoping since that pump was, that fourth pump was removed, that somebody would step in and say, hold on a minute, this is ridiculous, we can't carry on with this. You know, that, that people would stop burying their, their, their head in the sands and show, show a bit of professionalism and say, no, this is wrong, we need to fix it. So our hope is that it will be fixed before Friday. If it isn't, we'll see how it goes. And after that, if, if, if it has to escalate, then, then that's what has to happen. But we don't want that. You wouldn't. Would you consider strike action? We, we, when we held our ballot for the industrial action, because we had to make sure everything, all the boxes were ticked and everything was official, there was a ballot for industrial action and for, and the strike action came back at over 80%. Wow. So there is support there within, within the organisation for strike action, but nobody wants, nobody wants to see that because, as you said yourself, we're trying to, we're doing this to provide a better service, or at least provide the service we were providing this time last year, and, we don't want to be denying people service, especially the people, if you look at the people at Ballincollig who were promised coming into the city that you'll have the same services as the city and they don't even have the services they had when they were part of the county anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's a real worry. It is a real worry. All right, listen, uh, Billy, we really appreciate you taking time out uh, to talk to us and to you and everybody in the fire service. You, you do incredible uh, work. Stay safe. And uh, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Billy Crowley, who is a firefighter and a shop steward in advance of that picket by members of the Cork City Fire Service on Friday. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A reminder to you, the Premier League Live is back this Saturday on C103.ie with Trevor Welch, powered by Talk Sport. We're going to be bringing you live coverage of Spurs versus Brighton. That's at half past 12. And then Southampton will take on Arsenal at three. The Premier League Live online with Now, joining the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Of course, you can listen Saturdays on the C103 app. Are we going to C103.ie? Eleanor is on about the rising cost of fuel and what's expected to be announced by the government uh, later today help in lowering the price of gas and electricity and also we're hearing that the fuel allowance, an extra €100 will be paid to recipients of the fuel allowance. Uh, Eleanor says that for senior citizens who get free electricity allowance people may not realise that they don't just get a total free electricity bill they just get a certain amount of units but with the increase in prices and with electricity almost doubling in price. Those units are now completely wiped out. Eleanor would be hoping that the government would be giving more to senior citizens with the cost of paying their electricity bill. I haven't heard anything indicated to Eleanor that there's anything going to be doing to up those electricity units. And Neiman Brough says where are all the, what are all the regulators doing? Can they not intercept in this crisis? We have energy regulators in this country who are paid for out of the taxpayers' purse. Can they not uh, interject in any way? I suppose their hands are tied as well in that the reason that we're all paying more for all of our fuel and our electricity and all kinds of energy costs. Uh, a lot of it is to do with what is going on in the Ukraine and with no peace in sight there. It doesn't look like anything's going to get sorted out in the short term, which means in the long term we're going to continue to see rising energy costs, unfortunately. And uh, thank you for your call, Liam. And just talking of Ukraine, Ursuline Middleton were, was on to us. This is to do with refugees uh, from Ukraine that have arrived into the area. And Ursula 
says a number of refugees have now been p- placed in Tribalgan. And she says, well done to Tribalgan for making their facilities available to these Ukrainian uh, refugees. But Ursula says that she, along with many others from the Middleton area, have got to know these refugees. The ones that have mainly arrived in the East Cork area have come from Odessa. Uh, but now that they've been moved to Tribalgan, they have to get go into Middleton to do their shopping. They have to get a bus. But the bus stop is not directly at Trabalgan. They have to go to the gates uh, and then walk in and it can be quite a bit of a walk. And Eleanor or Ursula said just on Monday last, remember Monday, remember Monday we had a very, it was a miserable, miserable day on Monday. As she said, she spotted a number of the Ukrainians coming back from Middleton after doing their shopping. And she said they were soaked getting on to the bus. Now she says there is a pop-up shop in Middleton where they can go to access clothes and to get advice uh, etc. So she said because of that many local people are now interacting and getting to know and welcoming these Ukrainian refugees and making sure that they are okay. So Ursula's wondering, is there any way that somebody maybe operating a minibus could help out in some ways? Maybe go to Chabalgan, you know at a set time every day for anybody that needs to get a lift into Middleton and then return a couple of hours uh, later. She also said that speaking to many of these refugees, they're mad to work, but they don't know what their entitlements are and they don't know how many hours they can work. She said many of them are hairdressers, others have worked in hospitality. Goodness, when I hear hospitality, you talk to anyone in the hospitality sector in this uh, country and particularly in this beautiful county of Cork, lots and lots of vacancies. They certainly are entitled to work as if they've come from any other European country so there isn't a limit on the number of hours that they can work. I'm wondering at that pop-up shop that you're speaking about in Middleton if you know, where they're accessing clothes and other bits and pieces that they need. You say that there's advice. I'm sure there's probably somebody in there that will be able to tell them exactly what they need, you know, what they can and can't do. But certainly from a work permit point of view there isn't any issues around them not going out and finding work and it's the one thing that we are consistently hearing from all areas of the country any of the refugees arriving once they're settled, some people on day two, once they've got their head down for a first night and a good night's sleep, uh, their second day here, when asked, you know, what do they most want? They're all saying uh, jobs. So I would be, and I have seen news items of Ukrainian refugees in different parts of the country who are all gone into work in hospitality and hospitality in the areas where they're living are absolutely thrilled to have them come to work because there's a shortage of workers in that sector. So I would be suggesting, Ursula, if you're talking and have become friendly with any of them, for them to approach maybe some of the hotels, guests' house, cafes in the area and see if there is any any work available. And the same with, I don't know what the what the the deal is with hairdressers, if there's a shortage of hairdressers or there's work for, for hairdressers. But I certainly would be saying to them to reach out that definitely they are allowed to work. That's one of the things because that was why as soon as they arrived they were all issued with PPS numbers. So I know the issuing of PPS numbers was also so that they could access social welfare payments. But it also, because they've been issued with the PPS number, was also issued to them to allow them to uh, work. So um, uh, we we wish them luck, uh, luck with it. And actually talking of Ukraine, I was looking on the paper on the Irish Independent today and you know Mark Condren that wonderful photographer he's won photographer of the year many many times and he's a native of course of Castletown Roach and, and certainly people in Castletown Roach are very proud of Mark Condren and what he's achieved as a photographer he is just back from a two day visit 
to Ukraine. Now, he'd been out there earlier on because I'd seen, he'd gone out there with Fiona Sheen from the Irish Independent early on in the war and I'd seen reports, I'd actually seen pieces that um, Mark wrote as well. It's not, even though he always likes to tell his stories through photographs, but there's some stunning and desperately sad photographs in the Irish Independent taken by Mark Condrum on his uh, two-day visit. And in the Irish Independent today, you know, he talks about the what really unnerved him about this trip. And he said what really unnerved him was the absolute silence and the total darkness once night falls. He said all the lights are out across all of the cities. He says there's no one out on the streets. There's no one out in cars. There's no people around. So there isn't even a dog wandering around uh, the streets and he said they travelled at night, they were in a car the car wasn't allowed to have any lights on in the car so he said it's completely dark and the reason for that is so that the Ukrainian military people can see who's coming and they can shine a torch into the face of who's in the car and it's just, it's incredibly frightening and he was out there on a two day visit with uh, Fianna Fáil, Senator Timmy Dooley and Billy Kelleher Ireland South uh, MEP and Mark travelled to to Kiev and they also went to neighbouring Herpin and Bucha which uh, has seen some devastating, some of the war's most devastating uh, impacts and he said they, primarily the trip he said they went there to be witnesses, to witness at first hand the attacks on citizens and the attacks on civilians. He said what they saw was burnt out shells of homes. They saw neighbourhoods completely wiped out, homes that had been shelled and bombed by tanks, by missiles, by rifle fire. They saw rifle fire in the front of homes and windows. They spoke with some of the people trying to make their way back now in that the Ukrainian forces have pushed back the Russians. They spoke with people who told them that the Russian soldiers had attacked them in their homes they looted their homes, they set fire to their homes, they attacked and shot and killed people, some of them were out on the side of the street and uh, the group who travelled over also uh, witnessed the excavation of temporary burial sites this was near a church in Bucha where locals had buried the dead in the wake of the killing spree at the hands of the Russian uh, soldiers so there's he's taken Mark has taken photographs of uh, the civilians who were buried in body bags being taken up and the reason that they've been exhumed is the international crime scene investigators were there and he said it's very very clear that these were innocent civilians and they were had effectively been murdered by the Russian Russian uh, regime and Mark says from what they saw and heard from the people in the region he says there is no doubt whatever that these are war crimes it was purely an attack of the Russian Federation on the citizens of Irpin and uh, Bucha and uh, Marx was also stopped by one elderly resident because he said the one thing was people wanted to talk people wanted their photographs to be taken they want their story to be told I think more than anything they want to be listened to and he was in I think it was in Bucha uh, and this a very elderly woman came and sort of said, "Would you come and witness what the Russians have done to my home? And uh, he went with her and, and has taken photographs. He said she was a very elderly lady. They went into her apartment and he said, she's just a total mess. No bathroom, no toilet. She's nothing. She said she was, she, you know, spoke then obviously through an interpreter to say she was literally shelled with nothing left. And I also thought what was a very powerful piece by Mark, he said she wasn't crying. She said, he said none of them were. They've all their crying done. 
and there's a picture of that woman and she, you know she could be anybody's grandma you know you look at her and think is she a real granny figure just standing in the middle of her uh, apartment and you can see like some of the cushions and there's a picture up on the wall but the house her her little home absolutely uh, devastated it, it really is just um, shocking shocking beyond uh, belief and then to hear Putin was out yesterday we haven't seen him much uh, this week he's kind of come out sort of shied away from public view because he'd been out almost uh, every day but uh, he was out yesterday um, talking about his noble invasion of uh, Ukraine. There was a press event held uh, yesterday and he just rattled off all of the usual talking points saying that uh, Moscow had no choice um, but to intervene and that they were going into Ukraine to protect against separatists. They wanted to defeat neo-Nazis and they've gone in, and I say this in inverted commas, to help people. I can't see any evidence of anything that they're doing to help the poor people of uh, Ukraine. And uh, he went on to talk about that the Russian economy was standing on its feet despite the Western sanctions. He also added that there was no signs of war crimes and these, the ones allegedly carried out, he says, by the Russian troops. He said, all fake. They're all staged by uh, the West. He said, we have... A de- and then when he was asked about the peace process, he says, we have again returned to a dead-end situation for us. And that, to me, is really, really uh, worrying. He was asked uh, about the operation in Ukraine. Would it achieve its goals? And he said, absolutely. I don't have any doubt at all. Uh, Its goals are absolutely clear and noble. Far from noble, I'll tell you, far from noble. But that doesn't give much comfort to hear him say that the peace talks are at a dead end. Those poor, poor people. 0818103103, our lines remain open. John Paul, taking the calls, text WhatsApp 86 103. C103 Jobs. With Munster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full-time, part-time and professional courses. Succeeding together with mtu.ie. And we start this morning with Smith's Centre. They're in Kinsale. They're looking for an assistant manager. CVs, please, to hrkinsale at centre.ie. The Child of a Park Hotel, they're looking for a swim teacher. CVs to hr at childwithparkhotel.com. An accounting technician is wanted for Bandon. CVs to info at lloydbowmaker.com. And an office administrator is required for a full and part-time position in the North Cork area, 87 2860837. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, shortages of hormone replacement therapy, HRT, have hit many menopausal women all over the country, with my next guest having contacted 23 pharmacies before finally finding the product that she requires. Jessica Nimwainlon from the city uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jessica. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and uh, it's great to talk to you again. I suppose what we need to start with in your particular case, uh, Jess, you're a very young woman. Are are you just 30 now? 
Yeah, I yeah. just turned 30 just turned, before Christmas. Well, happy birthday on, on reaching 30. Now, and a lot of people will say, well, it's a 30-year-old. Why does a 30-year-old need HRT? Can you just remind us of your own story? Um, so I suppose I went through menopause. I actually started it um, just after my 27th birthday. Um, I'd had a lot of gynae issues kind of related to adhesions and undiagnosed endometriosis. Um and what happened then was I ended up after three surgeries here to save my womb. I actually needed to go through a full hysterectomy um, in October 2019 in London. So, like, I suppose that was my that was the start of my um, journey with HRT. But I suppose, as I said, I started menopause eight months before that, unbeknownst to myself. It was only the doctor diagnosed it when I was in London, like... But after the operation then and the... Did you straight away then have to go on HRT? Yeah, so like I suppose that's the difference between surgical menopause and like a more natural menopause that every woman would go through um, with surgical menopause because my ovary, well, one ovary um, was removed. The other ovary had already... I'd already lost it. Um, because of that, you, you just go directly into menopause. There's no kind of weaning down of, of the hormone in your body. It's it's a it's a sharp shock to the system. So you like I suppose when I left the Princess Grace Hospital in London, I left with a prescription for painkillers and a prescription for HRT. Okay, without HRT, what would life be like for you? Um, I suppose look, that's a very interesting question because it, like it's it's so different for so many women. But I suppose like there's over twenty symptoms of menopause. Are you there, Jess? The line has just suddenly dropped out. Let's see if we can get, uh, we'll get Jess back on another line because it was a good, clear line, but it just suddenly uh, dropped. We'll see if John Paul uh, can get it. It's the one thing with uh, mobile phones, unfortunately, where we're waiting for Jess to come back on uh, the line. Nula has been on to us by email uh, to say just to let listeners know there's a new scam doing the rounds. Nula got a text message purporting to be from the Revenue Commission uh, re-attacks a rebate. Now she did the sensible thing. She contacted Revenue directly and they said, Nula, that's a scam. Now she didn't open it or anything but she just wants to let people know there's a text message scam doing the rounds and we always like to alert you with those. Jess is back with us. Your line just dropped out on us. Are you back with us, Jess? I am. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's okay. Now, you were outlining the symptoms of, without HRT, what life would be like for you. Yeah, so I suppose, look, there's there's over 20 different symptoms for menopause, but I suppose for me, without the HRT, I have, uh, I'd have a brain fog, um, I'd have very severe fatigue, very severe um, migraines, I'd actually be in a lot of pain as well, my own body, I suppose, with the way that adhesions and things would react without the hormone. Um, and I obviously would have the usual then hot flushes. I suppose you have other issues as well, like an increase in kidney infections. Um, you'd have, I suppose, you'd have an awful lot of other issues as well. But I know for me, it would mostly be the migraines, um, the fatigue, and I suppose I, I get really crippling anxiety as well because the hormone isn't in my system because that hormone for women estrogen is so important for women it helps us regulate all our other hormones things like histamine um, your kind of I suppose other hormones like your fight or flight hormone things like that so 
it has a whole effect on your body. I know a lot of people kind of think without HRT you might just have hot flushes, but that wouldn't be the case. There's a lot more. There's a lot, and oh, as, you, yeah. as you say, with the, the 20 different symptoms, a lot of women don't realise that the symptoms, you know, that they can be suffering from are actually linked to menopause or perimenopause because there's so many symptoms. Yeah, and I suppose that's the reason why it was missed again with me here when I was in it before the surgery. Like, you know, some of the symptoms that I was having mainly were, I suppose, gynae-related symptoms and, and what was presenting as as uh, kidney infections, which it wasn't, you know, but that was actually a symptom of menopause, but it, it's just not recognised here. Yeah. You have the added issue of some doctors aren't trained in menopause. And you know what, Patricia, I don't blame the doctors. I, I blame, who, <laughs> blame, to be honest, whoever is designing these courses at college level that, like, they need to be, you know, every woman will go through menopause. We won't all have children. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a, it's a great point. Okay, so since 2019, have you ever had a period where you've had difficulty getting your HRT? Yes. So I suppose two months after the operation, I couldn't get a hold of I was on estrogen patches um, and I couldn't get them. You just couldn't get a reliable supply in the country. So a lot of that was down to... Um, a lot of that was down to Brexit because there was stockpiling going on in the UK, Look, which is totally understandable. But what happened with me, I suppose, was I actually had a family member working in the in London at the time. So the surgeon in London gave me a six-month prescription. Um, the family member in question was able to, uh, he was able to fill it and then bring it back. So I was getting a six-month supply of my HRT flown over and back. But I mean, I shouldn't have had to go to those lengths. I couldn't do that at this stage because I don't have, you know, I, I don't have that available to me anymore. So what I had started doing in the last few weeks was reducing my dose because I knew I could be without it. But reducing your dose isn't ideal either, I take it. No, no, it made me quite sick. And why is there a shortage of HRT products? I suppose that, that's the question now. I, I think probably for the the um, the producers and the HSE, um, they haven't given a specific reason why. I know I know uh, a few different people have raised it with the Minister for Health and his reaction to it was that it's an issue for the HPRA. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. And that, you know, people should just take generics, but Patricia, there's no such thing as a generic hormone. That's like asking someone to take generic insulin. It doesn't exist. And are there specific products or are the shortages across all HRT products? Um, from my knowledge, it's specific products. So there's a there's a shortage of um, some of the localised estrogen um, supplements and then there's a shortage of estrogen gel, which is what I'm on. There's then a shortage of patches. So what's happening in a lot of cases is pharmacists are getting the patches in, but they might only get them in in one strength. So a woman then has to go to the trouble of either wearing two patches cutting a patch in half, whatever the case is. And the pharmacist is being put in a terrible position because they can only supply someone with whatever comes in that month. Do you know what I mean? They don't have they don't have a reliable source of it like yeah, you, you you certainly would feel for pharmacists because, uh, you know, they, they've got their regular customers who are coming in every month to them and then they're inundated, I know, with people calling to say, have you this in stock? Because that's what you, you I'm right in saying you contacted over 20 pharmacies. Oh, yeah, it was, um, I actually rang a few of them on Thursday and then I rang kind of the big chunk of them on Friday. But like, you know, Patricia, like I rang chemists, like I, I rang chain like, you know, brand name chemists yeah. thinking they'd surely be able to have a supply of them because there's no supply issue in France or Spain or anywhere in Europe. There's no supply issue in the States. There's just a supply issue in the UK and Ireland. Do you know what I mean? So I was thinking surely they'd have them, but most of them didn't have them. Now, there was a few that did have them, but were keeping them for their own patients. And that's totally understandable as well. Um, I suppose I was lucky. One of the chemists that I rang in Dublin here... Um, Bonnybrook Pharmacy, she actually delivers and she's a specific menopause pharmacist. So kind of when I explained the story to her and she was kind of double checking the data first because I was so young mm. and I explained the backstory and just how fearful I was of not having the HRT again. She just couldn't have been any better. She just said to me, she said, look, she said, I'm able to import it from France. So she could guarantee me a supply of it for the next few months. <sighs> On, I, I can now foresee people going on holidays. Anybody going to Spain or France uh, is going to have family members or friends saying, will you try and access my HRT when you're over there? We'll be back to yeah. that stage. That Many years ago, that was a common thing in, in Spain when drugs were cheaper. People would be bringing prescription loads of things back. It's going to be HRT. I, 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 can, I can see it. And are you, Jess, are you hearing from other women who are having similar problems accessing HRT? Yeah, like I've put a few different women in touch with the pharmacy um, because luckily for us, they deliver as well. So, like, you know, like, I know I know someone in Cork who's actually getting theirs delivered there, but, um, like, I suppose I've been able to put people in contact with her, but it, it, it's not up to me or it's not up to other women who advocate for HRT or women's health. Like, you know, it's up to someone to step up here and say, right, there's a shortage in Ireland, but there's not in 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 Europe. So, like, you know, this is this is where now we need people to step in and talk to their counterparts in Europe and kind of say, like, can they come to some arrangement to bring the HRT in? Do you know what I mean? Because it's just not good enough to be without it, Patricia. You wouldn't ask someone 
to go without insulin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like, you know, and the other thing because this has been going on, as you say, for a good for a good number of weeks, it doesn't seem to be getting the publicity that it would be getting if, God forbid, it was say uh, insulin. And you you sometimes think at times, is this because it's a woman's issue? I think that's exactly what it is. To be honest, Patricia, I think it's a woman's issue that's being brushed off by men. Um, not all men, obviously, but like I just, I'm, I'm kind of coming to the stage now where I'm getting, I'm getting sick of the same line of it's the HPRA's baby. It's not really the HPRA or they're to regulate drugs. They're not there to make sure that they're in stock at all. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They can only, they can only give the public the information on when things are due back in, like. You know, like I know myself with the um, with the gel. In January, they said it'd be back in stock in February. In February, it was April, or in February it was March. In March, it was April. We're now into April. They're saying May. Do you know what I mean? So and it'll go on and on, and it'll go, go on. on and and just when you have your proper prescription of HRT, is life very normal for you then? Oh yeah, I'm actually I'm back to myself once I have it. Um, so like I, I take. I take four different types of HRT. One of them is the Easter gel and one is the thing called um, Tester gel. It's testosterone gel because the ovaries make a very small amount of testosterone, but it helps you regulate your energy levels. So once I have the two of those, I'm, I'm very normal, but I suppose I'm on four doses of Easter gel a day, which is a high enough dose. Um, and like even if I forget one of those doses during the day, I'd be... I wouldn't be overly sick, but I'd, it's almost like I'd get a headache as a reminder of missing the meds. You'd know, you'd you'd certainly know about it. Oh yeah. Would you be on these for life? I will. Um, mm-hmm. I will. That that was one thing they said to me before the surgery that I'd be looking, I'd be looking at at least fifty five before I could look at maybe reducing the dose or coming off them. And you know, as things progress as well, like you'll have to change doses, things like that, like. But it'll be lifelong. It's tough, but if it's working, it's working. And but you need to you need access to it for sure. And I know there are various Facebook pages and uh, groups of uh, that offering support to other women, and that you're not on your own. There are supply. You know, there are people all over the country frantically trying to get their hands on their HRT. Oh yeah, and and like they they will like hopefully most of them will get a hold of it eventually. I suppose you don't want to cause a panic and put people off asking their doctors for HRT either because that's a really hard thing to do as well. Do you know what I mean? But like, I think expecting women, a woman in Clare or a woman in Cork or a woman in Waterford to go to the North to get vital medication or to if they have a partner or a family member in England or in Spain to ask them to, to fly it back for them, we shouldn't have to go to that to those lengths. Do you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. Not like, it's not like we're painkillers where... If you ran out of norepin, you could take something else. It doesn't work like that. Like herbs won't replace a hormone. You're, you're a great advocate on behalf of other women as well. Uh, well, well done uh, to you, and good to know that at least you've you've got your supply uh, sorted out. And hopefully, the powers that be will get working on this, and it will be sorted out sooner rather than later. Jess, in the meantime, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. 
And, uh, and, and stay well, stay well. God I bless. Bye bye, bye bye. She's a lovely young lady. That is uh, Jessica Neem Wainlon outlining just how tough it is at the moment for women trying to access hormone replacement therapy. And as I say, that it does seem to be some products. There's a huge, huge uh, shortage. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to oh eight six two. 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. By the way, it is, uh, it is Wednesday and the sun is starting to shine. Hopefully, it'll be a nice afternoon. Uh, Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, will be joining us today. So if you've got a gardening question for Peter, you can get that into us either into John Paul or you can text her WhatsApp to 0862103. 103 and just taking a look at some of your texts into the programme this morning uh, Pat was listening to me hearing about uh, Vladimir Putin the Russian president yesterday uh, defending the, what he's calling the noble invasion of Ukraine and saying that they're in there to help people I'd say they, uh, many Ukrainian would like to stand in front and say what kind of help are you actually uh, offering us Pat is one of those people who says Patricia why in the name of all that is good hasn't somebody put a bullet in a, a Putin's head I wouldn't have any problem doing it says uh, Pat God, you know you're not I've heard more people say that uh, Pat um, uh, yeah a lot of people question like why has this man not been taken out particularly when you saw him at such he was at, like very at what looked like being very publicly on show uh, yesterday he was at some some base, some space base. And I saw uh, Lukashenko, the Belarusian president, he's kind of his ally, his wartime ally, uh, was with him. And you kind of wonder, you know, why? But they, these guys are so well protected, nobody could get anywhere near him. And then those that are around him are so terrified of the man, I don't think any of them would be willing uh, to try and take, uh, take him on. But you just, when you hear him talk about that the peace talks are at a dead end, you'd be really fearful, wouldn't you, for the future, that if, if he's saying that, are, you know, are we ever going to get peace? Are we ever going to see peace for the Ukrainian people? Because, you know, while we're all, what the rest of the world is talking about, you know, rising energy costs and, and whatever, at least we're safe in our, in our own beds. But what's happening to the poor people of Ukraine is absolutely desperate. And just actually, just again on Ukraine, there had been somebody on to us on Monday was trying to see if I could find out what was going on. They had put a pledge in to, they had a holiday home, willing to give up their holiday home this year in order to house Ukrainian refugees. And it was a three-bedded house. Don't know if it was somewhere in West Cork or did the listener actually say where it was, but she hadn't heard anything back from the Red Cross and was wondering what was happening. Well, the Red Cross has confirmed it, it will contact every single householder who has pledged accommodation to the Ukrainian refugees and they're hoping that by the end of next week, everyone who put a pledge through will be contacted. And I saw Charlie Lamson, who's the head of fundraising, actually who we spoke to uh, last month on the programme about about the Red Cross and what the Red Cross uh, were doing. Uh, he says that, they, first of all, the charity are having some problem. There's about 3,000 people that they've been trying to contact who have made a pledge, but they literally haven't been able to get through to them. Now, whether people have changed their minds or whether people, the phone number isn't, gave a wrong phone number, I don't know, but they said they are having problems. 3,000 seems like a lot, but anyway, they're having difficulty getting through there. Now, he did say that more than 23,000 accommodations
donation pledges have come in through the Red Cross so so far. He said, and, but, but like what we're hearing from some of our, our listeners, people are reporting that they haven't been contacted despite registering their properties. And many people are saying, look, I registered my property weeks ago, very willing to hand it over. And we're constantly hearing about that there's a shortage of places for the refugees uh, to stay. So the Red Cross wrote yesterday saying, look, this has been an exceptional response from the Irish people. And certainly the Red Cross have never dealt with anything on this scale before. And because of that, it is leading to a number of challenges. And the one being how difficult it is to get through to everybody who has made uh, an offer. So that's what they're saying. They will be reaching out to everyone who made a pledge and they're hoping by the end of next week. Now, they they have had a lot of success so far. Uh, so the Red Cross have reached out to 5,700 vacant property uh, owners. They've also already made contact with about 7,000 people who've made an offer of shared accommodation. You know, people who are saying, I've got one bedroom, I've got, you know, I've got two bedrooms, I would be willing people could come live in my house with me. So about 7,000 of those have been contacted, but almost 6,000 people who have an empty property. And obviously the empty property, they're the most ideal in order to allow the Ukrainian refugees to be as independent as possible. Now, the shared accommodation obviously is very welcomed as well and will and is being used. But ideally, they want to try to get to the empty properties uh, first. So Charlie Damson from the Red Cross is saying uh, once the calls are made to all of the people who have pledged accommodation by the end of next week, what then happens is there has to be a site visit. They can't just take, you know, somebody ringing up saying, yeah, I have, lovely, I have a lovely property. It's absolutely perfect. And then oh, well, the refugees will arrive tomorrow. They need to go out and make sure that everything's OK with the property and, you know, that it is suitable and that everything's in working order and all of uh, of that. So just to let people know, if you were one of those listeners who did make a very, very kind and generous pledge to say, I'll give up my holiday home this year. We won't use the holiday home. Instead, let Ukrainian refugees stay there. You will be uh, contacted by the end of next week. And I think it is very kind and very generous of people who have made those uh, offers. Uh, people have been really, really good uh, about it. And Charlie Damson also confirmed that more than 30 million euro has been raised through the Irish Red Cross and that's just on their Ukraine appeal. I think when I spoke with Charlie, I know we were doing the, we in the early days we did a, we had a campaign here going for the Red Cross here on, on the radio station and I think it was around that time and I'm sure they were at a, they were at somewhere about 10 million I think at that stage because he was saying he was blown away by the response but it has gone to 30 million. People have just been, I think we're all when we when we witness the scenes on our TV or what I was talking about Mark Condren's photographs in today's Irish Independent we can't help but reach out and try to help these uh, people and of course the money that goes through the Irish Red Cross Ukraine appeal they send that the bulk of that money then goes straight to the Ukraine Red Cross and they're obviously working on the ground in Ukraine and also in the the people who come over the border that they're helping them uh, as well so um, well done to the Red Cross they're, they're absolutely playing a blinder You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed. I've had a gorgeous, uh, heartfelt email in from the family and friends of the late Cora O'Grady on behalf of the two little children, Luke and Lily. And we all remember uh, how devastated everybody was to hear of the death of Cora O'Grady. She died. She was on the climb for Charlie. 
on Galtimore Moore a couple of weeks ago and it was just such a sad, sad loss. This lovely uh, woman and mum to Luke and uh, Lily and uh, they've issued a statement uh, on behalf of the family that it's just, it's a little bit long but it's certainly worthy of a mention and the, the statement uh, reads, Luke and Lily's family would like to thank from the bottom of their hearts every single person who has been there for them since the day of the tragedy and all of those who donated to the GoFundMe set up by Cora's friends from the five euros to the 1,500 euro all was equally appreciated by us the generosity and kindness shown by each donation and every heartfelt message left on the page or on the RIP.ie was read and re-read and would forever mean the world to us the support of our friends and neighbours Luke and Lily's friends and their parents their schools and clubs and organisations that are involved with will never be forgotten we know if Luke and Lily's grandmother Chris was alive she would insist on thanking every person individually walking up the main street of Mitchellstown following Cora's coffin on Friday and seeing all the locals and the business people lining the street was so wonderful and made us so proud to belong to a community that showed so much compassion respect and support to us as a family but especially to Cora's children Luke and Lily the GoFundMe has echoed this community spirit on a national level the kindness of ordinary people taking care of each other at a time when there is so much doom and hopelessness in the world just filled our hearts. We would like to thank all media, both radio and print publications who promoted the fund in aid of Luke and Lily. Uh, going forward, Luke and Lily will be supported by their family. The money donated will be placed in a special fund overseen by the organisers. It'll be used for their education and any other unforeseen but necessary expenses that will be occurred in the future. Because of the generosity of family, friends and strangers, Luke and Lily will not be denied the opportunities that Cora, their mum, would have wanted for them. This was very important to Cora. She encouraged her children to get involved in all activities. Cora herself and only recently completed an SNA course where she obtained distinction in all exams and she was really looking forward to restarting her career in education, working alongside children like Luke and Lily. We will be forever proud of Cora and her achievements, especially Luke and Lily. Ah, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? And that's a statement on behalf of Cora O'Grady's uh, family. Uh, so well written as well. I didn't put that together. And uh, just if you helped in any way just to know what it meant to uh, Cora's uh, family and we will continue to think of Luke and uh, Lily as they journey through life without their beloved mother once again to uh, Cora, for Cora Grady may she rest in peace because by all accounts she was an incredible woman but most importantly of all she was an incredible mother so sad her loss it really is 0818103103 our lines are open John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862103103 and I can already see Questions coming in for Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener. He's going to be joining us this hour. So if you can keep those questions coming, uh, please. Some of your thoughts coming in by text and by phone. I mentioned the situation in Ukraine and the refugees that are arriving here. That's prompted somebody to say, Patricia, with all of the Ukrainian refugees that are being housed here, what about the housing crisis for our own people on the streets in our own towns and cities where is the help uh, for these people and I know a lot of people are getting frustrated and venting their frustration with the fact that Ukrainian refugees now not 
not a lot, some people, uh, and saying we have a housing crisis in this country and the government are doing everything now to try to do rapid build houses. And I know that there is that argument, why wasn't the rapid build houses over the last number of years because of the housing situation? But I suppose we're in a very different situation and this is almost on a war footing and nobody would deny safety to the people of Ukraine uh, for sure. And, you know, let's wait and see. I mean, there's there's talks of building all these rapid build houses. Will the houses be built? Only time will tell. And remember, we, we are, we're getting to the stage of saturation on beds that are available for the refugees that are, are, are arriving. Another backup plan or that there's they're going to be intense and, you know, community centres are being taken over. So it's not that all of these refugees are arriving and that they're being given very plush living condition. I think going forward, we are going to have a lot of problem. Uh, if a huge number, particularly when you hear Putin saying that there's no sign of peace, is that going to force more people to leave Ukraine? And we will have major, major problems uh, going uh, forward. Uh, hi, uh, oh, this is, can anybody help a listener in Bandon, please? Could you ask, where can I buy lining paper for walls? Okay, somebody doing a bit of DIY around the house and wants to want to put lining paper up and then the wallpaper over it. Anybody in the Bandon area know where our listener could get lining paper for walls if you can let us know and then Madge was on trying to renew her PPS card she's an old age pensioner and her PPS card is going out of date or is out of date I don't know but her free travel is on it so it's important to to her now Madge I don't know how much access you have to the internet because I know with public services cards they try to get everybody to do it online and certainly the renewing, renewal of a public services uh, card uh, you do it online uh, um, so, but I don't know if you've got access to online and in case you don't have access to online or maybe you've got a family member that could go online for you and renew it online it is quite an well, I don't know if it's an easy process to do it online because in order to do it online you have to have a MyGov account as far as I know. Anyway, if you can get somebody to do it online, that's by far the best way. But if you don't have anyone to go online, you can't go online yourself, there is a help desk that you can contact. It operates from 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, 0818 So 0818 If you give them a call, Madge, they hopefully will be able to sort you out. And remember early this morning, one of my first texts in was from Trish in Bantry, who had a problem with mice in her bird feeder and she was saying any tips on how to keep mice away from my bird feeder it's hanging on a tree and they're crawling up the branches and eating the food that Trish in Bantry is putting out for the birds well now here is a suggestion and I don't know if Trish in Bantry would like to do this because I don't know how comfortable I would be about this but Jerry in Castle Treasure was listening isn't that a gorgeous address Castle Treasure and he said he's done this before in the past if you have a problem with mice in your garden and mice accessing a bird feeder. You get a plastic bucket and you half fill it up with water and then you shake some porridge oats in on top of the water so that they float as they would do. And then you leave it near the bird feeder or out in the garden wherever you have a problem with the mice. Now you need to put a piece of timber up against the side of the bucket and what happens then is the mice who have a great ability to smell food will run up the plank of wood into the bucket because they'll smell the oats and then they drop into the bucket not expecting water to be there and then they drown. And Jerry says he's done it several times and it works. 
Ugh, I just don't know if I could do it. I just don't. Not that I want mice running around my bird feeder, but I just don't know if I could have the bucket of water and the dead mice inside in it. Anyway, it's a suggestion, and thank you for your call. And that's from Jerry in Castle treasure. Uh, if anybody else by the way has gardening questions, I can see a number of gardening questions. Keep those coming in please because Peter Dowdell uh, will be joining us. Mossy in West Cork says hi Patricia, belated birthday greetings to yourself and John Paul. Thank you for that. With regards to the government saying they can't reduce the cost of home heating oil but they can't reduce the VAT on home heating oil for consumers and they're saying it's an EU law. law. What nonsense, says our Massey in West Cork. They can send people to the moon. Do the government want people to revolt? Did you ever hear such a ridiculous talk when the Irish consumer are on the financial and emotional needs, needs and then the government quote an EU law to nail the people down? I've heard it all now, says uh, Massey in West Cork. Well, we're part of the EU, unfortunately, and when they introduce rules and regulations like that, we have to abide by it. But I sense your frustration, Massey, as do so, so many people. And John says, Patricia, the latest cut in VAT and the public obligation levy will only reduce your two monthly bill by 18 euro. That surely, says John, is a token amount. Rural dwellers that rely on oil and solid fuel for heating will get nothing. It's city dwellers on the other hand and those that have access to a mains gas, they'll get the VAT reduction. Surely, surely this is more discrimination against rural dwellers. And by the way, says John, we won't forget it in the next election. And Jim says this is on mice. Yes, I've seen that trick to catch the mice with the bucket of water. Uh, uh, but an add-on, says Jim, put oil on the pole so the mice can't climb up. Put oil on the pole. Oh, on the tree. Oh, OK, for if, if you don't want to drown them. Put oil on it. OK, any particular type of oil? Cooking oil? Ordinary oil? because they can't cling on to it then. All right, that's that's a kind of a more humane way maybe of trying to get them at getting access to the bird feeder. Thank you for that, uh, Jim. Keep your texts and WhatsApps coming 0862 103 103. John Paul taking the calls 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. There's a couple of bingos happening this Friday night in Newtown Shandrum community. Hall. They've got bingo on this Good Friday 8.15 start and please note the later uh, start it's normally 7pm and bingo is in Mallow GAA Complex on Friday night 8.15 they have a jackpot of €2,600 and all proceeds are going towards the teams and the upgrades of the pictures and an Easter art exhibition in aid of cancer charities will be held in Inishannon Village Hall it opens on Good Friday evening at 6pm and then it'll run up to and including Easter Monday. They'll have over 100 pieces of art exhibited. The local organisers, the French family, hope that there's something there to suit every pocket. And Donnerail Golf Junior Academy are hosting a 5K run or walk in Donnerail Park on this coming Saturday at 12 noon. Registration will be from 11am to 11.45 in Donnerail Golf 
clubhouse. Teas and coffees then will be available at the back of the clubhouse after the race. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Earlier I mentioned there was a listener on from Bandon who is looking to buy lining paper for walls you know, that you put on underneath and then you put the wallpaper on uh, afterwards and she was wondering where did anybody has anybody seen it on sale somebody has sent a WhatsApp in to say Coakley Decor they're on High Street in Bantry they have the lining paper that that Bandon lady is looking for they do grades 800 1000 and 1200 and I have no idea what that means but somebody in the know will now they close today at 1 so it'll be too late for the lady from Bandon to make it to Bantry but they're open again at 9am tomorrow morning so Coakley Decor on High Street in Bantry and thank you to the listener for that now a Clonakilty woman who walked to Rome with her harp Sean on her back four years ago is back on the road again and this time is hoping to walk all the way to Jerusalem. Dutch-Canadian Anya Backer, uh, who is currently on the road between Mill Street and Boeing, I'm told is in Knockduff just outside of Boeing, joins me from her pilgrimage. Uh, good afternoon to Anya. Good afternoon. And how fantastic to once again uh, speak to you. Now, you, I'm assuming your plans for this pilgrimage were curtailed because of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it went all downhill really fast once I got home. My dad died. And uh, that took the wind out of my sails a little bit. And then the pandemic happened. And here we are. But you're back on the road again. Sorry to hear about uh, the passing of, of yeah. your, your dad. That's, that, that is tough. Now, just to let people know, you've completed two pilgrimages, pilgrimages to date. Back in 2010, you did the, the Camino to Santiago. And then in, you did Rome in uh, 2018. Talk to me, Anya, about the reaction you get when people realise that you're, you're following what is the spirit of the medieval bardic harper. Because you're playing yeah. as you go. Well, not at the moment. I've got a, I've got a crushed thumb, okay. so it's kind of pointless what I'm doing. Uh, it's getting better though. Good. Um, yeah, the, uh, most people kind of can't comprehend what it is. It takes a little while, and some people really dislike it. But most people are, are kind of go like, "Okay, what can we do to help?" Yeah. And why do you feel the need to do these pilgrimages? I started as a really angry woman. Uh, I needed to walk out uh, some things that I, I wasn't happy. Uh, and that happened in 2010. It took me three months and something. And it, I made peace with that part of my life. Uh, it had to do a lot with my mother. And then I thought, great, there is a learning curve in this. You can do this again. So I dedicated the second pilgrimage to my dad and uh, did that. Now, he never came to walk with me into Rome, but obviously now we know why, because he was very ill. And um, I thought that there was a learning curve in that as well. So now Jerusalem, maybe I'm hoping to to get enlightened. (laughs) (laughs) And and Jerusalem by far, will be the longest one. I mean, yeah. what, what are we talking about? The bones of a year? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Maybe even a little bit more, um, especially with the rate I'm going now through Cork. Okay. 
And have you have you planned a route? I mean, how many countries will you go through? Do you know uh, at this stage? Yeah, I have a route. Okay. So Ireland, I wanted in Ireland, I wanted to do one thing different. Usually, I would walk over the road network, get to a ferry ASAP, and get on with it. So this time, I said I'll go do the waymarked uh, trails of Ireland. So it'll take me about forty days. 40, 50 days, something like that. And then I'll... Uh, um, so at the moment, I'm on the E8, which is a European long-distance walking route, which is way marked all the way up to, what is it, Istanbul. But I'll stay on that until Austria. So it'll be Ireland, England, Holland, Germany, Austria. Then in Austria, I'll change routes to the Sultan's Trail, which will bring me through... Uh, what is it? Hungary, Serbia, Romania, Bulgaria, to Turkey. And then I'll do the Sufi trail to Konya. And then after that, it's finger up in the wind and figure it out from there. Uh, there are several routes, but uh, it's unclear whether, you know, the thing that I want is possible. Uh, so I might end up somewhere on the coast and just taking a boat and going to Cyprus and then going heading on to Israel. But I don't know yet. And I, I feel I don't have to decide yeah, until yeah. I get there. And and isn't that the way of the pilgrims? Many didn't yeah. didn't know at the uh, start. But about a year, will it be at least? Would it be this time next year, do you reckon? I, I was hoping Easter next year, okay. but I don't think so. Like, it's a long way. And as I mentioned at the outset, you, you do it along with Sean, your harp, yeah. on, on your back. Yeah. Now, he... Am I right in saying that harp weighs about 10 kgs? Yeah, the harp with the pack is 10 kgs and then my own stuff on top of it. And I left and, of course, I tried to bring the kitchen sink. That always happens at the beginning. So it's heavy at the moment. <laughs> and it rained last night and it was heavier now. Yeah. <laughs> and how, I mean, I'm trying to even think how one packs for a pilgrimage that you know you're going to be away for a year. Um, you... you have you a tent? Uh, I have a hammock, a tarpaulin, a beefy bag and a sleeping bag. They are the... Oh, and a sleeping bag lighter. They are like the core of of my survival. Um, then, of course, your tea, two litres of water. You need some food on you just in case. Uh, obviously, with the thumb, I learned a hard lesson. You need some medication as well. Uh, bandages and stuff like that, plasters for your feet, compete, and then you need a change of clean clothes. I think I've got about 22 kilos at the moment. How did and I'm you, how, trying to get rid of three. How did you injure your thumb, by the way? Oh, uh, I'm a left-handed woman, and I stuck my right thumb into a car door. I don't know how I did it. Two, two seconds of loss of focus. Okay. And the plan is, uh, you you you'll sleep out along the way, but you'll get accommodation as well. I mean, people yeah. people offer you accommodation when they realise what you're doing and and couch yes. surfing and all of that. Yes, yes. Now this time I've done one thing a little bit different because it is so long, and I found, especially when I went to Rome, that a lot of people I, I still get messages from Italy going like, "Are you coming by here? Uh, we'd like you to come and stay." But of course, not everybody is on my route. So one of the pilgrim things is, is that you 
you have to be able to, you have to allow people to help you. So I started a GoFundMe for those people who feel that need to show me love by throwing me a few bob. And the rest of the time, yeah, it is either camping out, couch surfing. Uh, there was a friend of mine booked me into Guggenbara Hotel when I was there. Which was amazing. <laughs> Love it, great hotel. <laughs> you know, but but so, it's the it's yeah. the generosity of strangers, and, yeah. and and I'm and I'm assuming Anya that will never cease to amaze you. No, no, it's amazing. It is incredible. Like uh, one of the the other thing is, I'm a ward of the church because I'm going to Jerusalem. Like you've got the three pilgrimages. Uh, Santiago is your courage. Rome is your head. And then uh, Jerusalem is your soul. So all the religious orders, they kind of, they they don't always, but a lot of them, if you knock on their door, they will help you. And church doors and stuff are also open uh, because you get kudos for this, <laughs> being a good Christian, you know, helping pilgrims along the way. So there is a, there is a, there is quite a bit of scope. Okay, okay. If, if needs must, you will you will knock on a yeah. door. But if oh, yeah. ne- but if needs must, you are prepared to sleep outside. If, I did last if, night. Oh, did you? In the oh. rain. Oh. It was awful. I, I, I can well, well uh, imagine. It's it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible what you're doing. And I watched your 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 post that you put up on your you've a great website of which people want to follow what Anya is doing. And you were talking about anyone who's done the Camino will know you get the pilgrim's passport. You yeah. haven't been able to get a pilgrim's passport for Jerusalem. Uh, no, the, there is a group, the Confraternity of the Pilgrims to Jerusalem, but they're in Austria. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to get a pilgrim's passport from Austria. That's weird. So I made my own. Well done. <laughs> Again, needs must. Well done. Yeah. And you will continue to post live updates on yeah. your... Uh, where can people see those? Well, I'm on YouTube, and then I have the Flouting Harper website which is nearly finished I'm on my way to Wicklow to the guy who is doing it he, he said to me that was his gift for this pilgrimage that he would look after the website So you're, wa- uh, you're walking to Wicklow? Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah Yeah I'm heading for Dublin okay. and Dublin uh, Liverpool and then Liverpool to Hull Hull to Rotterdam and then on you go. We'll keep in contact with you along the way, uh, Anya. And we wish you a safe, safe pilgrimage. The, the floutingharper.com if people want to check out more about Anya. Uh, stay safe and enjoy as well. It's about, it's about enjoyment as well. And we hope that thumb gets better so you can be back playing the yeah. harp again. Listen, yeah. a pleasure talking to you, Anya. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Anya Backer there. We couldn't let her uh, leave the country without wishing her all the best as she walks from Clonakilty to Jerusalem. No mean achievement, I can tell you. 0818 103 103. Gardening questions, please, for Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener.com, uh, joining us on what is now a nice sunny afternoon where I'm sitting. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. 
It's always a sunny afternoon in Cork, well, Trisha, isn't it? That's it, that's it. And listen, before we get into mm. a lot of questions in uh, from uh, listeners, we, I was talking earlier about the situation in Ukraine, and it reminded me of a piece that you did a couple of weeks ago in the Examiner on the yellow sunflower, which is, of course, the national flower of Ukraine. You have a nice little suggestion for people. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Well, yeah, I thought, wouldn't it be a lovely idea if all the tidy towns groups and community groups around the country would, would grow some sunflowers this year to, to kind of welcome all the Ukrainians that are now residing here and also to show that solidarity. It's be, it, the sunflowers come to represent solidarity internationally, not just in Ireland, obviously, internationally with Ukraine. So I thought it would be a lovely idea. Plus, of course, it's a great plant for pollinators, so it's ticking all the boxes. And is now the right time to get ready to plant sunflowers? It is. Now is the time to start them. You can either start them indoors or outdoors right now. And I put the, the post, I put this up on social media a couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, just, and of course it was met very, very favourably. And I contacted some seed companies who have very kindly sent me. I have about a thousand packets of seeds, uh, but I also have about over a thousand requests for seeds, which is great to see. I think we will see um, a fantastic blast of yellow around the country in late summer. So just to, to let anybody know, the seeds will I will be sending them uh, over the next few days. Over the, starting today, I'll start sending out the seeds to people. So if you've asked me for them, you will get them. And if you don't, it's just because I've run out, so I apologise. But I imagine everybody that has asked me will get them. And they're gorgeous. And they're a great way to introduce gardening to children. Well, they are because, it's, you know, they're so quick. They go from seed to flower. It's like Jack and the Beanstalk stuff, isn't it? You can nearly see them growing in front of you. Uh, and so the kids will love them and get involved with them. And, of course, it's such an important symbolism now this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. OK, let's get straight into questions from some of our listeners. Mike in Bantry was in nice and early with this one to say, Hi, P- Peter. Is honey bush melanthus? Yes, Melianthus. Melianthus uh, Mili- yeah. uh, is M- M- major. Is it a good container plant? Asks Mike in Bantry. Well, yes, provided the container is uh, large enough, Trish. It will grow. It's a deciduous shrub. It's a very structural and architectural plant, actually. It's a lovely, lovely plant, Melianthus. Uh, loved by the bees, as you'd imagine from the name of it, the comic Um it will grow in a container, but it'll grow quite large. I mean, Melianthus can grow up to six feet in height and nearly in width. So that's not to say you need a six-foot-wide container, but you need a substantial enough timber in diameter. It doesn't have to be timber, but that kind of size is what you'd want long-term. You can start it off in a smaller pot, obviously. But, yeah, the answer to your question is it, will, it does make a good container plant, but you will have to increase the size of the container as the plant grows and matures. Okay, Mary and Limerick, happy Easter to you all. Many happy returns, uh, Mary. Uh, Peter, could you ask Peter, please, is it still too cold to feed my lawn, says Mary? I would think, where are we, April now? No, it's not. I mean, we're heading for 15, 16 degrees today and we've had that in the last few weeks. So no, and I, I suspect Mary's asking because a lot of the, the, the feeds, in particular the ones that I recommend, like lawn gold and things like this, they need to be, the soil temperature needs to be 10 degrees or higher for them to work. So... Uh, I would say no you're not too, it's not too cold you should be fine from now on and one of those very open-ended questions coming in from Margaret uh, Peter what would you suggest as the best flowers to plant in pots now that would give colour right throughout the summer and last throughout the summer that is an open-ended one. We could spend all day on it. Um, what I would suggest is you, you you group them into two two. You can separate it if you like into two groups of plants. One is your summer bedding, right? So it's a bit early for summer bedding yet. And what summer bedding is, uh, they're annual plants. So these are plants that will 
fill their or they, they, they'll finish their life cycle in one growing season. So you're looking at petunias, geraniums, things that are not so much geraniums, but petunias, begonias, and things like that uh, as good annuals, busy lizzies, all these kind of things. But the problem with with a lot of the bedding plants is they're intensively hybridised, which means they may as well be artificial for bees and pollinators. So we don't want that, obviously. Um, the other the other group that I was mentioning, it's split into two groups, is you can look at perennial plants. So these are plants that will come on year after year, getting better with age, if you like. So if you look at things like dahlias, so particularly the single flowering dahlias, they'll give colour right into the autumn, but they're also very, very good for bees. Um, lilies, the, the tall summer flowering lilies, uh, they're another one that you could plant. Tuberous begonias, you could plant as bulbs. Uh, and these will all come back, flower this year, but come back next year. Uh, so... I would be inclined, without going into too, much, too many specifics on exact plants, I would be inclined to look at perennials, summer flowering perennials, as I say, like lilies, begonias, dahlias, agapanthus maybe, um, gladiolas is another great one for the summer, of course. But and they're just as easy to grow, but as they come back year on year, I think they're great. No, they're great, absolutely. Breathe in Mallow says, could you ask Peter, what can I do to treat my camellia? It's in full bloom, but the leaves are covered in black stuff. Breathe said the black stuff almost looks like soot. Well, she describes it very well because it is known as sooty mould. There you go. Uh, and it's a very common problem at this time of the year. It's, it's, it's a two-pronged problem, so it requires a two-pronged approach, if you like. So it, it's caused by the scale insect, among other insects, but particularly the scale insect. As it overwinters in the plant, it, it leaves off this honeydew secretion which sticks to the leaves. Uh, and that in itself isn't doing any harm, but it, well, the, the insect is, is a, a sap sucker, but it doesn't do much harm. But what happens then is the, you get these black fungal spores which end up just, they're in the end up just sticking to the, the, the sticky leaf and then they colonise it as you see and, and it forms this black coating over all the plant. And if you've never seen it or if somebody's never seen it, it does absolutely look like the plant is covered in soot. So this obviously has a problem with, uh, causes a problem for the plant because it reduces its ability to photosynthesise. Um, so you need to, in the first instance, I would say treat the plant with a solution of copper sulphate and water, which is a very good broad spectrum fungicide, but it's okay for use organically. Um, treated with that uh, and get an organic pesticide to, to remove the scale insect as well or even use something like the garlic wash which will be quite helpful to get rid of the scale insect um, the, the, the black fungal spores won't magically fall off I'm afraid once you've killed it you, it, it, they'll come off in time it'll, it'll wash off in time so I wouldn't be worried about it but if you want uh, once you've applied the, the copper sulphate and, and something to deal with the scale insect you could go out with them just washing up liquid and, and water and that'll wipe the leaves Take it clean. off, yeah. yeah. Okay, Marie and Mallow's already started work on her lawn she said I put Mobacter on my lawn about two weeks ago how soon can I scarify? You after that, Mobacter is quite similar to lawn gold in the way it works. So you, you would leave it. I normally actually scarify it first, but anyway, in this instance, if you put it on about two weeks, I'd leave it certainly three. Well, if you leave it three or four weeks, you're into the kind of end of April, uh, which is a bit late to scarify it. So I think I'd nearly leave the scarifying of it this year until September uh, and do it in the autumn. Because if you scarify it too late and we get a long, hot, dry summer, which we're all hoping for, uh, you, you'll end up doing a bit of damage to the lawn. It'll take quite a while for it to recover. So I would leave the scarifying now, I think, until September. And you're going to love this one from Maura in uh, Mallow on Sunflowers. She said, hi, Peter, I got a bucket of bird seed and I picked out 50 sunflower seeds and then I sat them. And I'm delighted to say they're all thriving. <laughs> 
Isn't that great? Well done, Laura. Isn't that brilliant? Absolutely <laughs> That's brilliant. Right. Someone else says, I bought five trees this year. Four are perfect, but one is damaged. It's a variegated holly tree. The leaves are all gone brown. Should I move it or is, has it died? Could it be wind chill? I, I, it's hard to say for sure now without seeing it, Trish, but I know it's unlikely to be wind chill or, or wind, like wind will cause damage. Now, hollies will take wind in the first instance, but also when wind causes damage to a plant, it tends to be on, on the windward side, if you like. So it, you te- particularly in the, for the first few months, it tends to be just damage where the wind is hitting it. Uh, so no, we planted them recently, no. It could be, of course, no, it most likely isn't considering we've had enough rain, but it could be that it dried out from the wind, if, 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 and we have had dry periods, so that is possible that it dried out. Uh, but it's also prob- possible that it's got some some um, a holly blight. There's a holly leaf blight, which which can cause these kind of symptoms, which does happen, does does manifest itself quite quickly. So I'd say it either dried out from a combination of obviously lack of water and too much wind. Uh, and people might be listening to this say, but we've had loads of rain. But even if it dries out for two or three days coming from a pot, that would do it. So it could be that. Uh, and as I say, without seeing it, it's hard to say for sure. So it could be that or it could be the holly leaf blight. OK. Um, someone says, can you get evening primrose plants? You should be able to get them. Maybe not right now, but you should be able to get them in most garden centres. I'd say Onothra to give them their, their, their Latin name, if you like, O-E-N, Onothra. Um, but they should be available in garden centres. I would say mid to late summer you should get them. OK. Hi, I've got a lemon tree in a glass house. It's in a pot. About four or five years ago I planted it, but it's never bore any fruit. Is there something I need to be doing? I'm wondering, would I be better off taking it out of the pot and planting it in the ground in the glass house? Would that make a difference? You know, it shouldn't because, now I'll be honest with you, I'm not an expert in growing lemons because unfortunately I don't, I don't live in Portugal or Italy, <laughs> one of these lovely places, so I'm not an expert. But I have grown lemon trees before successfully <laughs> to a degree. When I say successfully, there might have been a few lemons uh, produced. So... From memory and to the best of my knowledge, they are self-fertile and that you don't need a second one like you would with some fruits like apples and things. Going in a pot should be fine. So putting it into the open ground, it has to be obviously to fruit. It will have to be in a glass house in Ireland, yes. So, but moving it from a pot to the open ground shouldn't make a huge amount of difference provided you're feeding it enough in the pot. Um, so I would say, no, I would say just keep feeding it in the pot. Do put it into the open ground if you want, but I don't imagine that's going to make a whole pile of difference. It may well be, I'm afraid, just that the glass house is too cold. question I'd have for the caller is, if, if is it flowering? So obviously if it's not flowering, those flowers can't become fruit. So the first, in the first instance, if it's not flowering, I would try and encourage it to flower uh, by feeding it with a good quality organic tomato food, something like the Nature Safe Tomato Food. Tomato food. Um, do that around now, in fact, uh, and try and promote flowers. If it's flowering and not fruiting, it could be just that it's not pollinated, not pollinating. So while it's self-fertile, you still need the, the insects to do the work of, of pollinating each flower. So indoors, obviously, you mightn't have uh, enough insects to do the work, so you may need to do that by hand. A quick Google search will show you exactly how to do that by hand. OK, and Mary Bandon says, is it OK to move a red-hot poker in the next week or two? She wants to move it from a shady area to a sunny spot. 
ideally this is a job that would have been done before now you'd have done it during the winter when the plant was fast asleep it's coming into active growth now if not there already so you you do run a risk moving it now or in the next week or two definitely but on saying that Nefafia the red hot poker they're a resilient tough enough plant so it, it, I would my advice would be if you really want to do it and I would move it into a sunny spot do it sooner rather than later do it today don't leave it for a week or two OK we'll talk again next week Peter in the meantime thank you just for that very, yeah go on just very briefly sorry Trish if I may when we were talking about the sunflower there a minute ago. I should have mentioned I have set up a Facebook group uh, on Facebook. It's called Irish Sunflowers for Ukraine. If anybody wants to share their exploits and their, their seedlings, Brilliant. their blooms, feel free. Brilliant. Well done. Well done. Thank you for that. Have a lovely have a lovely Easter and we'll talk next week. A happy Easter. Trish. Thanks, Thanks a million. Bye bye. Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com. And lots of people are on about the mice and the woman's having the problem with the mice eating all of the bird uh, seeds. And somebody has got, um, there's a lot of people who were upset about the idea of drowning the mice in the bucket of water. There are other ways to do it, including Nora says, these are some natural mice repellent options, essential oils. Mice hate the aroma of peppermint oil, cayenne pepper and cloves. Apple cider and water. Make a mixture of apple cider vinegar and water. Fabric softener sheets. Stuff these sheets into empty points and it stops the mouse traffic. Will you pass on some of those tips, says Nora. Glad to do it. Thank you for that, Nora. Others are saying the peppermint oil as well. And then someone else on the PPS card that the woman is trying to get renewed. Patricia, I recently rang Abbey Court House on behalf of my elderly neighbour and they renewed the public service card. Very happy, helpful girl. Did it over the phone. Fantastic. Abbey Court uh, House on 0818 Got to leave it there. Thanks to John Paul. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Mess. You're very good today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.